0: he's got supporters Detroit New York Los Angeles inciting large scale arrests and sympathy marches I'm very aware of that Mr. Hoover what I do know is he's non-violent what I need to know right now what's Martin Luther King about to do next
1: Mr. President Dr. King is here
2: Mr. President in the South, there have been thousands of racially motivated murders. We need your help, Dr. King. This thing's just gonna have to wait. It cannot wait. You got one big issue, I got 101. Somewhere it is.
0: Here is the next great battle.
2: Sam's the place, and they ready.
0: Dr. King!
2: I tell you. That white boy and hit. You will not tolerate agitators attempting to orchestrate a disturbance in this state. It is unacceptable that they use their power to keep us voiceless. Those that have gone before us say no more. People actually say they're gonna kill our children. They
1: are trying to get inside of your head.
2: What happens when a man stands up, says enough is enough? We build the path as we came, rock by rock sale is probably burned. <laughs> it probably is.
0: We must march! We must stand up! You march those people into rural Alabama. It's gotta be open season.
1: May I have a word? There's no word to be had. The people! The people!
0: The people! The people. are 70 million people watching these pictures are going around the world
2: we must make a massive demonstration Fight black and otherwise come to some. i heard about the attack of innocent people i couldn't just stand by looks like an army
1: out there this revolution goes on and on this revolution goes on and on my eyes have seen the glory
2: When a man stands up, says enough is
3: enough. There was this song. Some of y'all are going to remember this. It was released back in 1987 by the late, great Michael Jackson. It went something like this. I'm bad. I'm bad. You know it. Right? Isn't it amazing how words can change? I mean, that song literally changed the way that the word bad was used in pop culture. Because all of a sudden after that song, uh, you would hear things like, that is one bad dude. And that was a compliment, right? Or that's one bad truck you got there. And people wanted a bad truck, you know? You want to be known to be bad as a bone. Like in, in, in sports, they'd give a guy a ball and they'd say, that guy's got some bad moves. And that meant something different. You see, words change, meanings change. Because at one time, I don't know if you know this, but bad used to mean bad. But now it means good. It's, it's kind of crazy, right? Uh, the, the word sick. Anybody remember the word sick? I mean, there was a day when we would say to our friend, man, dude, listen, bro, you, you look sick. And that was our way of saying, go home. There's something wrong with you. You got issues, man. Get out of here, right? But now if you go up to somebody and you say, man, bro, you look sick. They're like, right on, dog. Right? I mean, it's just everything changes. And and, um, and we'll get back to the movie Selma in a moment because it is an amazing movie. It's an incredible movie. If you haven't seen it, I'm saying everybody in this room needs to go home and watch that. But words change, meanings change, and sometimes negative things become positive things, and positive things can become negative uh, things. And so take this word to discriminate or discrimination, you want to talk about how the thing has changed. I mean, the idea of discrimination, if you pay any attention to the news at all, it's everywhere, right? I mean, you cannot listen to anything about pop culture without somebody feeling offended or discriminated against in one way or another. If you were to believe the news at all, it would say this, that white people discriminate against black people, and black people discriminate against white people, and straight people discriminate against gay people. And the list goes on and on and on and on. If you were to believe the pop culture world at all, every one of us just goes around discriminating about everything. Anybody ever feel that way? That you can't ever make a a rational statement or a judgment without somebody pointing a finger at you, right? Um, People, it seems, can act however they want, do whatever they want, say whatever they want, and in the very same moment, they say, don't judge me, don't discriminate against me. Who are you? Don't discriminate against me. People can steal, people can burn your house down, people can open a meth house right across the street from you. People who can say, who have been a man all their life can say, I want to be known as a woman now, and, or people can say, hey, I, I, I want to marry two women while at the same time being married to a man. Um, and, and they'll say, if you say anything, you're discriminating. If you say anything, They'll look at you and say, you're the one who's wrong because you are intolerant, you are discriminating. Anybody ever feel that way about any issue? You know what I'm talking about, right? Um, Listen carefully. We are told this word to discriminate or this idea of discrimination is wrong, that it's a a bad word, it's unjust, it's vile, it's evil. As a matter of fact, um, if you follow the news again, you'll know that we're at a whole point in our society now that we've decided that we need to punish people who have a different opinion, who discriminate. Um, we, we've, as a society, we've kind of got to this, pay, you know, passing all these anti-discrimination laws, and we are given this list of people, this groups of people, that if you say anything against them, or if you, if you discriminate against so-and-so in any such a way, we're going to fine you, or we might take you to jail, or we might send you to some reform screw, or where you got to pay this, you know, a price to society, or, or we're going to take your business and livelihood away from you. Um, anybody ever see this in, in culture? You ever pay attention to see this going on out there? Absolutely, it's everywhere. So track with me a little bit. People can do wicked things. And I mean any kind of wicked thing. I don't mean just sexually wicked thing. I mean just wicked things. People can do destructive things and evil things. And in the middle of all that, they can demand that you... Don't discriminate against them, that you don't discern anything about them. Uh, And so you see all these anti-discrimination laws popping up. This seems absolutely nuts to me. I did the research. You can trust me on this. I found over 15 sexually, uh, you call it sexual orientation groups, sexual identity type of groups, all vying uh, to pass some sort of anti-discrimination law that represents their group. And I got to think, this confused me. This confused me because I started trying to think in my mind, how many possible sexual identities are there out there? And I got stuck at two, you know? And I just, I couldn't, I didn't know where to go with it after that, you know? And so, um, but, but, but I want you to think about where all of this leads. Think about this. I'm just picking out the, the big topic of the day, right? Um, but, but think about where all of this leads. Does anybody realize, does anybody realize that pedophilia is a sexual orientation? I did the research, I found groups out there that literally are going to the news, going to Congress, going to our politicians and saying, no, 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 you don't understand. I was born with a love for young children and they're demanding that the rest of us don't discriminate against that. There are groups out there, true story, that are demanding equal treatment and they say this, they're out there, That I was born, don't you realize? I was born with a love for animals. And the rest of us, if we say anything, if we point a finger, if we raise our voice against anything, we're the ones who are vilified. We're the ones who are called the bad guys, that we are discriminating, right? And and so, if we, in our our nation, if we redefine, when we redefined marriage, I want you to think about this that when we say that marriage is no longer between a man and a woman, where does this take us instantly? Where does this automatically lead as a society? Think about where this goes. Do you realize that the very next day after the Supreme Court of the United States of America declared that um, marriage was no longer between a man and a woman but could include uh, gay and lesbian type of marriages, do you realize that the very next day the very first pedophile case was filed in the United States of America out west? So where does this end? Where does it lead? If, if we're not allowed to discriminate, if we're not allowed to decide even for ourselves what is right and what, what is wrong, where does this all go? Uh, we live in a world now, and if you pay attention to the news, you know this is out there, that we're told that you have to accept a man who self-identifies as a woman who wants to use a woman's locker room. Does anybody find that to be a little disturbing? I found two states in which various school districts and public facilities have decided that young boys and young girls, teenage boys and teenage girls, could choose the bathroom and locker rooms of their choice depending on how they want to present and identify on that particular day. Has anybody ever been a 15-year-old boy? Where does this go? Where does this all lead Um, And here's my point, now that I've made everybody a little tense, I want to take it up a level. I'm telling you that you must discriminate. You must discriminate, and you must teach your children to discriminate. Let me explain this, because here's how the dictionary defines the very word discrimination. It says it just like this. It says, discrimination is the ability to recognize the difference between things that are of good quality and those that are not. Anybody want to discriminate? The ability to discern, to distinguish, and to show some partiality. It's the ability to understand that one thing is different from another thing. And it just seems to me that as a society, we've lost a very important set of skills. In order to stamp out one injustice, we've created another injustice. And that's the injustice of not being able to tell one thing from another thing. We, we've lost the ability to decide for ourselves what is good, true, honorable, and noble. We've lost the ability to determine what we think is right and what is, we think is wrong. And don't we want to discern? And don't we want our children to discern? Don't we want our children to know the difference between something of good quality and poor quality? Don't we want our children to be able to distinguish, to show some partiality, to make preference, preferential treatment on one issue versus another issue? Don't we want that for them? And don't you want this for yourself? Because the truth is, you do this every single day. Matter of fact, you do this every hour of every day. You discern, you distinguish, and you show partiality toward one thing over another thing. I'm trying to get my two little guys... um, to realize that brushing their teeth every day is a great advantage to their life, that it will help them succeed. It's not always going well, but it will help them get to where they want to go. Um, Some of you, when you got out of bed this morning, you immediately showed discrimination. You chose Colgate over Crest, right? Any, Any Colgate fans in the house? Any Colgate fans in the house? You're wrong. You need to be fined. You you need to be fine until you realize your love for Colgate is wrong, right? Um, But listen, the truth is, we all discriminate. We show partiality every single day. Um, Every hour, every moment of every day, you have to decide one thing over another thing. Think about the idea of friends, right? You have to choose who you're going to be friends with ultimately. You can't be friends with everybody. You can be kind to everybody. You can be nice to everybody you meet. You, you can show dignity to every single person you meet, and we ought to. That is what Jesus says we have to do. But we can't be friends with everybody. As a matter of fact, here's what I tell my kids. I don't know what you tell your kids, but I tell my kids all the time. Oh, I got four kids. I say, you need to choose your friends carefully. You need to show some discrimination in the way that you choose your friends. Because I, that's what I tell my, my kids. I say, listen, not everybody out there is good for you. And not everybody out there will take you to where you need to go. As a matter of fact, there are people out there that will take you in the exact opposite direction that you want to end up in life. And if you're not careful, if you don't choose your friends wisely, you're going to be in trouble. That's what I tell my kids. And that's true, isn't it? I'm thinking most of us realize that you've got to show discernment, to distinguish, to show partiality, to make a preference in all areas Of our life. And so much of life is about showing discernment, partiality, and making good decisions. Think about a career path, right? Think about education. You have to decide what you want to do for the rest of your life. And then you have to live with those consequences. You have to decide what you want to do that will make you happy for the rest of your life. And at the same time, you got to balance the idea of what you want to do versus what you can do to take care of your family and yourself along the way. And so there's decisions. There's, there's discrimination. Let me tell you something. You can sit around and you can do nothing with your life. You can sit around playing video games, waiting for somebody else to take care of you, um, or, or, or you can do the hard work of going to school or maybe the hard work of developing a craft or a trade that will take care of you and will take care of the people that you love. And I'll just be real honest. I'm totally discriminatory with this. I tell my kids, you will not be lazy. You will not sit around and, and let somebody else take care of you. You will work hard in this life. You will earn what you're going to earn in this life. It will not be handed to you. Right? Call me judgmental, but that's just the way I feel. And I'm going to teach my kids that. But all of society, let me tell you something, friends. All of society says, no, 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 you can't go around making judgment calls like that. That's crazy. That's crazy. Friends, let me tell you something. I think right near the very top of the list of, of the abilities that determine s- high levels of success for people is the ability to discriminate. It's the ability to distinguish, to, to discern, and to show partiality over one thing, over another. It is the ability to make good decisions. It is the ability to make wise distri- decisions. That the, it, is, it, is, it should be obvious to us that there are some decisions that you and I can make that we're literally in a moment Destroy your life. And then there are decisions that we can make that will promote your life, that can take it to new levels. And you're the one who's going to have to discern the two. You're going to have to discriminate. You're going to have to show discretion. Listen, you're not lucky and end up successful. And you're not unlucky and end up some drunk on a street corner all drugged out. No, no, no. You either make wise decisions or you make poor decisions. You make poor choices somewhere along the way. Uh, You've associated yourself with the wrong group of people, or maybe you've got around the wrong crowd, or maybe you didn't educate yourself or train yourself when you were young, but you reap what you sow in this world, right? And so this art of discrimination is incredibly important. Maybe from a young age, you entertained yourself with all the wrong things, and then you bought the lie of your very own entertainments. You see, you don't wind up lucky or unlucky. You decide. You decide. Maybe maybe the number one thing that determines success in our interpersonal skills, maybe the number one thing that determines success in, in our finances, our health, our spirit, our relationship with God, our relationship with our spouse, our friends, is the ability to show discrimination. It's the ability to decide and to discern and to choose what's good maybe even what's better or even what's best over just simply what's good. It's a big deal, isn't it, friends? It's the number one thing. I'm telling you, your spirit walk with God totally depends on your ability to discriminate. Totally. You know, this may shock you because everything in the government and everything in pop culture says, "Oh ho, ho, don't make judgments. Oh, ho, don't make decisions. Don't ever decide one person's wrong, this other person's right. Never do that. Listen, you'd be shocked to know that the Bible does not teach that in any way, shape, or form. The Bible says that, no, 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 there are decisions to be made. There are judgment calls to be made. There are discriminatory things that must be set in all of our lives. As a matter of fact, here you think about this, the very first God encounter with man, I want you to think about this. The very first encounter with man was that God put man in the middle of a garden and he said, I'm going to set you up in a discriminatory situation. I'm going to cause you to discriminate, to decide between right and wrong. So God places Adam and Eve in this garden and shows shows them all the trees and says, look at this, look at all that you have, everything I've created for you, enjoy it all, enjoy it all. Hey, hey, but don't this one thing. That tree right there, hands off that tree right there, don't touch it. If you touch it, it will not go well for you. If you go there, it will not go well for you. And so right away, Adam and Eve, right from the very, very beginning, had to decide, are they gonna have the guts to discriminate, to choose wisely, to discern, to show partiality, to make the right choice? And friends, this is required in all of our life. We're gonna get back to the Selma movie in just a moment, but I'm telling you, I want you to think about this. Every single person in this room, your primary choice is whose voice are you going to listen to? Your primary choice is who will you serve? Your your, your primary decision, the way you must discriminate is between choosing the things of this world or choosing the things of God. When Joshua back in the Old Testament stood before his people, they were at a critical crossroad and they were trying to decide, the people were trying to decide for themselves, were they going to follow God in the way of Joshua or were they going to return back to their old life? And Joshua stands before his people. And these are the words that Joshua says to the people of Israel. And listen carefully, he says, but if you refuse to serve God, to serve the Lord, then choose today who you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors that they, that they serve beyond the Euphrates? In other words, are you gonna follow what we've been following all this time? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living? In other words, are you gonna change your whole foundation? Are you gonna run after the gods of this world? Or are you gonna follow the real Lord God? And then he says this, Then he says this, but as for me, and I love this. He says, I'm going to make a choice right now. I'm going to discriminate right now. I'm going to choose wisely right now. He says, but as for me and my house, me and my family, what does it say? We will serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. Any uh, 1960s babies in the house here? Any 1960s? Remember Bob Dylan? The guy couldn't sing a lick, but he could write. And he took this verse. And he put it to music in a whole different way. Maybe you remember, he says, you gotta serve somebody. You gotta serve somebody. It might be the devil, or it might be the Lord. What do you say? But you gotta serve somebody. That's true. There are voices for you to listen to. You have to choose which voice you're gonna hear, which voice you're gonna obey. You gotta discriminate. You gotta decide. You gotta make judgment calls in your life. Here's how Jesus said it. Listen to what Jesus said. Um, Book of Matthew chapter seven, he says this. I'll read it to you. He says, be aware uh, of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. He says, you better ready to discriminate because not everybody wants well for you. Not everybody who claims to be good is truly good who's coming at you. Not all those temptations, not all those things that seem to be ringing in your ear are gonna take you to where you really wanna go in this life. But he says this, you can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way that they act. Can you pick grapes from a thorn bush or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Now listen. He says, yes, you can identify a tree by its fruit. In other words, you can know what's good and what's not good. And so you can also identify people by their actions. Friends, we have to discriminate. We have to discern. We have to distinguish. And I think you know this inherently. The ability to discriminate, to choose between right and wrong will determine what is good, whether you settle for what's just good or what is better or what is best for your life. It will determine your success in almost every area of your life. But let me tell you something. There is one area One way to discriminate that is completely off limits for God's children. There is one way to discriminate that is completely, completely out of bounds for God's people. And that is when you look at a group of people or an individual and you look at their outward appearance and you make a judgment about them because they are different from you in some way. Here's how Webster defines the second de- definition for discrimination. It says these words, the practice of unfairly treating a person or groups of people differently from other gr- uh, people or groups based on outward appearances. For example, race, color, nationality, age, or sex. Friends, let me tell you something. God finds this deplorable. God hates this. And if we were honest, for many of us in this room, somewhere tucked away in the recesses of our heart, we are all too quick to look at the outside of a human being and make some sort of judgment as if we are better or more deserving than they are of God's grace. That somehow you're elevated. And they're lower. Friends, this is deplorable for God's people. Ever. And this is where I want to take us back to 1965. And to the heart of the civil rights movement. To the heart of this movie called Selma. I put together a bunch of clips that tell the story of incredible injustice. We're just going to watch one extended clip. And I want you to hear the story of how man... Has treated man. Anthony Cooper,
0: get on up now. I ain't got all day. mr. Dunn down at the rest home ain't that right
2: yes sir. wonder what old Dunn will say when I tell him one of his gals down here stirring a fuss I ain't stirring no fuss I'm just here trying to register the vote it's all right this time it's right when I say it's right
0: recite the constitution's preamble you know what a preamble
2: is We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare... How many county judges in Alabama? Sixty-seven. Name them.
0: I'll tell you, ending segregation, proudest moment of my life when I signed that 64 Act. Proudest moment of my life, I tell you. Now, civil rights is a priority of this administration, as you know. You've got to face a challenge this country is storing up a heap of trouble for itself. Now, seeing as I can't convince you to work with my administration in an official capacity inside the White House... I feel fortunate to have someone a statesman like as you leading the movement, and And I want you to go on leading it. No one else, no one of these militant Malcolm X (laughs) types. So, I want to help. Tell me how.
2: Well, Mr. President, I'm here to speak specifically about the denial of a basic American right for the Negro citizen, the right to vote. Well, uh... Technically, technically, we already have it, yes, Mr. President, but we both know in the South, black voters are kept off the rolls and out of the voting booths by systematic intimidation and fear, Mr. President. Now, you asked how you can help. We want federal legislation granting Negroes the right to vote unencumbered, and we want federal protocol eliminating the decades-long dismissal and illegal denial of blacks seeking to vote and we want robust enforcement of that protocol well um that's fine but most of the
0: south is still not desegregating let's not start another battle when we haven't even won the first this voting thing is just going to have to wait
2: (laughs) it it can't wait, Mr. President. Well, why not? Because there have been thousands of racially motivated murders in the South, including those four girls. Well, I know that. And you know the astounding fact that not one of these criminals, who murder us when and why they want, has ever been convicted. Yeah, I know. We have a lot of work to do down there. Not one. Conviction because they are protected by white officials, chosen by an all-white electorate, and on the rare occasions that they face trial, they are freed by all-white juries. All-white because you can't serve on a jury unless you are registered to vote. Well, Dr. King, you've certainly given me something to
0: think about, but this administration is going to set this aside for a while. Just for a while, you understand
2: Summer is
1: singing, singing.
0: Dr. King,
2: may I introduce myself? Yeah, of course. <laughs> oh,
1: hey! Oh, that's okay. I'm right
2: now. It's okay, it's okay. Okay, okay, I'm okay. This way, Dr. King. I'm quite broken here. We see! Children become victims of one of the most vicious crimes ever perpetrated against humanity within the walls of their own church. They are sainted now. They are the sainted ones in this quest for freedom and they speak to us still. They say to us, to all of us, all colors and creeds, that we must do this. They say to us, that it is unacceptable for more than 50% of Selma to be Negro, and yet less than 2% of Negroes here being able to vote and determine their own destiny as human beings. They say to us that the local white leadership use their power to keep us away from the ballot box and keep us voiceless. As long as I am unable to exercise my constitutional right to vote, I do not have command of my own life. I cannot determine my own destiny, for it is determined for me by people who would rather see me suffer than succeed. Those that have gone before us say, No more! No more! That means protest! That means march! That means disturb the peace! That means jail! That means rape! And that is hard. We will not wait
1: any longer. Give us the vote. That's right. No more. They're not asking, they're demanding. Give us the vote.
2: Enough of this now. I haven't the time for this. None of us got the time for this. John James The way our organization works is straightforward. We negotiate, we demonstrate, we resist. And on our best days, our adversary helps the matter by making a mistake. Now, we were in Albany for nine months, and we made a lot of mistakes. But their sheriff, Laurie Pritchett, he never made a mistake. Kept his cool, kept arresting us in a humane way, carried people to the jail wagons on stretchers day in, day out. There was no drama. You mean there was no cameras? Exactly. Now, I know we all understand that you young people believe in working in the community long term, doing the good work to raise black consciousness. It's good, grassroots work. I can't tell you how much we admire that. But what we do is negotiate demonstrate, resist. And a big part of that is raising white consciousness. And in particular, the consciousness of whichever white man happens to be sitting in the Oval Office. Right now, Johnson has other fish to fry and he'll ignore us if he can. The only way to stop him doing that is by being on the front page of the national press every morning, by being on the TV news every night. And that requires who murdered jimmy lee jackson who murdered jimmy lee jackson we know a state trooper acting under the orders of george wallace pointed the gun and pulled the trigger But how many other fingers were on that trigger? Who murdered Jimmy Lee Jackson? Every white lawman who abuses the law to terrorize. Every white politician who feeds on prejudice and hatred. Every white preacher who preaches the Bible and stays silent before his white congregation. Who murdered Jimmy Lee Jackson? Every Negro man and woman who stands by without joining this fight as their brothers and sisters are humiliated, brutalized, and ripped from this earth. When I heard President Kennedy had been shot and killed, and when I heard just yesterday that Malcolm X, who stood in this very church just three weeks ago, had been shot and killed, I turned to my wife, Coretta, and said the same thing I often say when one of our leaders is struck down. Our lives are not fully lived if we're not willing to die for those we love and for what we believe.
1: About 525 Negroes had left Brown's Chapel and walked six blocks to cross Pettus Bridge and the Alabama River. They were young and old and they carried an assortment of Packs,
3: bedrolls, and lunch sacks.
1: The troopers were waiting 300 yards beyond the end of the bridge. Behind the troopers were dozens of possummen. Fifteen of them on horses and perhaps one hundred
3: white spectators.
2: And yeah, you swim? I'm any swimming pool for black folk while I come.
1: Ready.
0: Andy, it's it's by you. Everybody there?
2: Yes. Turn
0: on CBS right now, Andy. Right
1: now, you have a TV there?
2: Yes. Now?
1: Right now. This is an unlawful assembly. You have two minutes to disperse. Go home or go to your church. This march will not continue.
2: May I have a word with the Major? There's no word to be had. Major Cloud, may we speak with you?
1: to the ground, screaming, arms and legs flying, packs and bags went skittering across the grass divider.
3: Those still on their feet retreating. A cheer went up from the white spectators lining the south side of the highway.
1: Could be seen through the gas flailing at the hands of the (laughs) marchers.
3: The eagles cried out as they crowded together for protection, and the whites of the sidelines whooped and (laughs) cheated.
1: from the hospital came reports of victims suffering fractures of ribs heads, arms legs and Negro leader John Rose despite injury from a possible skull fracture led the marchers back to the chapel after the encounter with officers he said I don't see how President Johnson can send troops to Vietnam and send troops to Selma, Alabama, to which the Negroes present roll their approval.
3: There is a way we discriminate that is deplorable to God. If you don't know your history, you need to go back and watch this movie. You need to see the end. It's amazing what, uh, what injustices these folks endured. It's amazing. And it blows my mind that in a lot of ways, the church, the body of Christ, was the cradle for racist-driven discrimination. There, there, there was this, there still is in a lot of ways a white church and a black church. And friends, if you were to search through the pages of scriptures, you can't find that. There is only one church. There is only one God, one creation, one people who he redeems, who he loves, who he gave his son for. That's all of us, every single Last one of us. White, black, Latino, Asian, or otherwise. But somehow, if we're honest, many of us still in the recesses of our hearts, we can judge by the outward appearance of a man. And let me tell you something uh, if you were to go back into the pages of the old testament there's a story that is uh, about the calling of king david to be king over israel um god had removed king saul's authority and, and uh, told samuel the prophet to go find the next king and he told him exactly who that king would be and so he goes to the house of david and he lines up all of david's brothers there were seven total of them i believe they lined up from the biggest and strongest to the best all the way down to the smallest. David didn't even make the original lineup. And when he gets there, he's looking at all this and he says, wow, this must be the king. This must be the man because this man is young and he's tough and, he's, and he looks bright and he's handsome and he's all these things. And then God speaks to Samuel and he says, in 1 Samuel chapter six, 16, verse 7, he says, but the Lord says to Samuel, don't you judge by the outward appearance or or by his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see the things the way that you see them. Then he says this, people judge by outward appearances, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so God rejects all of these fine looking young men. And he chooses the runt of the litter, a young man named David. David who nobody thought was worthy to be the king. Jesus picks up this exact same idea in the New Testament when he's looking at all these religious people who seem to be able to dress right, drive the right cars, look all good, get their act together on the outside. But on the inside, their hearts were a wreck. Their hearts were far from God. And all the people were clapping for the church folk And Jesus comes along and he says these words. John 7, verse 24. He says, stop judging. Same words. Stop judging by mere appearances, outward appearances. But instead, judge correctly. Look at the heart of the matter. Look deeper into the soul of a human being. James, the brother of Jesus, he picks up the same idea. He says there's a church gathering like this. And he says, in the church doors come these poor people. He says, what happens a lot of time in church life with religious people is because maybe somebody we feel is less than us. He says, these poor people come in and you push them aside, you make them sit in the back, you give them the worst seats in the house. Then he says, these rich people come in who look right, drive the nice car, have the latest style. He says, you show those people down front, you give them the best seats in the house. And he says this, this is what he says. Yes, indeed, it's good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, it's good when you obey that. But if you favor some people over other people, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. And then he says, when you do this, when you treat one people over another people, simply because of what you perceive them to be, He says, you have sinned against God and this should never be in the body of Christ. I think one of the greatest joys um, for our church, uh, for me personally to move to Taylor has been the diversification in my own personal life. You see, I grew up in North Monroe County, hung out a lot in Southern part of Down River. And when I was a kid, there were no black people in my life, none. There were no Mexican people, no Indian people, no Arab people just plain old boring white people that was it a little bit ago uh my son he uh he thinks it's the coolest thing to invite the whole youth group over to my house every saturday night it cost me a fortune it's ridiculous He's, he invites all these boys over and they eat me out of house it's like 50 bucks every time they come over it's crazy um but a little while back wasn't too long ago i was sitting in my kitchen and they uh huge smile just came over my face because uh, I looked around it was just me and Zachary my rest of my family was in bed and I thought wow we're a minority in our own home how cool is that how cool is that you see there were were three black boys over there were two Latino or Mexican boys there was a Filipino mixed American Uh, there was a kid who was half black half white and then there was a plain old white boy named Aaron Gagan, And I just thought it was the most beautiful picture. Because this is what the body of Christ ought to look like. Let me tell you something, friends. Um, the, diversity, uh, the, the diversity that we see in this world is the passion of an artist's heart. And that artist is God Himself. We we are the canvas, and when He takes, we, we take on character with every stroke that He makes. And this crazy kaleidoscope we call the human race—I'm going to tell you something: it is God's greatest work. You see, we go, man. I love it when I go to the mountains because I see God's great work and I see God's great beauty. It's true. Or when you go to the ocean, you stand at the infinite amount of water, and you just go, "Wow, this is God's greatest work." No, it's not, friends. You stand at the ocean and the trees and the fields, and you look at all this stuff, and you go, "That's great." And it is great. You look at the stars, you go, "That's great." But that is not God's greatest work. God's greatest work is here, inside of humanity. God's greatest work is when He puts this tapestry together, and He shows His full creative potential. When he creates whites and blacks, Latinos and Chinese and everything else in between, short people and tall people, long-haired people, bald people, dreadlocked people. God's—you be- want to know what the beauty of God is? You want to know what the greatest beauty of God is? Is when all of His children, when they stand together. When they, when they worship the king, when they, when they stand together, when, when people from Russia or people from China stand with people from America and people from Iraq and people from Poland and people from, from Africa and people from all over the world. You want to know what beauty is? Is when we stand together unified, worshiping one name as one people. That's beauty. That's beauty. And friends, if it bothers you, If it bothers you to come to church and to to sit near or to sit by someone who maybe is not like you, then you probably won't like heaven at all. As a matter of fact, you probably won't end up in heaven at all because God doesn't want you to go anywhere you don't want to go. I'm going to just tell you what heaven's going to look like. Here's the end of the game. Here's the end of it all. It's found in the book of Revelation. Let me just read it to you. Tell me if you want this. Because this is what I want for our church it says, after this I saw a vast crowd, too great of a crowd to even count, and from every nation and every tribe and every people and every language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb of God they were clothed in white robes and they held palm branches in their hands and they were shouting with a great roar salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb of God and all the angels were standing around the throne and all of the elders and all of the living creatures, it says, and they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and they worship God and they sang amen and blessing and glory and worship and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God. That's what heaven looks like. And that's what the church ought to look like. (laughs) i <laughs> and just a constant warring with one another. Anybody just tired of it? Tired of it. Listen, may God's presence on earth start with us. Let's make a change with us. Let's pray for our world together. Let's pray right now. God, we come before you. We invite your spirit into this place, God. We want you to do inside of us what we cannot do for ourselves. God, we want to be a church where everybody, every man, woman, and child can take next steps towards you and with you. God, help us to create that kind of a church. Help us to be that kind of a people who love you and love all of your creation. God, would you do a great work in this little tiny church? Do a great work through us in this world, Lord. Even now, God, we pray for our teams that are in Colombia now spreading your, your word from our church. We pray for the team that's leaving to Haiti this week. God, we pray that you would use them in huge ways, God. Make them dangerous in this world. Make them dangerous in the kingdom of God. All God's creatures sing glory, glory, hallelujah. Amen. Amen.